1: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the Final Four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron and Michigan State comes out of this one with a victory 83 to 76 uh and really Rod it was close all the way up until the last few minutes uh you know if Detroit has a little bit better shooting in the second half maybe this is an L um but that being said it wasn't like they escaped with the win i mean they they did do things at the end of that game to win it um, they did yeah but Overall, this was pretty ugly. I mean, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Detroit, though, um, with some of the things they did on defense.
0: They played a lot better than I'd anticipated. And keep in mind, much as in the Eastern Michigan game, they were short some guys. Yeah, Uh, Their two big guys were not able to play, and I I didn't hear whether that was COVID-related or injury-related or what, but um, they did not play. And so, once again, like the Eastern game, Michigan State ends up going against a small it's ball team. And it what it, it affected both ends because I thought Detroit, you know, they mixed zone and man. But even when they were in zone, they were really aggressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a lot of ball pressure. That's not to excuse Michigan State's turnovers. They were a joke. But U of D really did play extremely hard. And then... I felt for the first time this year, really, MSU's defense just didn't show up very well. The numbers are going to look okay. Mm-hmm. They gave up 41% from the floor and 22% from three. But, I mean, it was it was a brutal performance in some ways at that end. I th- and I think some of it was matchup related, that uh, U of D just had smaller guys driving the ball, at bigger MSU players. And I do think it was interesting, you know, the lineup down the stretch that Izzo went with had, um, did not have Joey Hauser on the floor that Joey seemed to be kind of bothered by something mm-hmm. on, with his leg. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming it's nothing, nothing major because he played, but, um, he wasn't on the floor down the stretch. And I think that's because, as oh, in part it might have been that, in part it might have been, um, that Joey did not have a great defensive game and that Michigan State had other guys that were maybe doing a little better job. Uh, but whatever, whatever the reason for it was, um, we saw, you know, a closing lineup that had, uh, Julius Marble and, uh, Malik Hall out there. And
1: Hogard the for a lot.
0: Well, that's a different issue. That's the wings, which mm-hmm. will, We'll get into Josh Lineford. Didn't play, reportedly had um, some knee discomfort. They said they did a procedure earlier this week, which I understand was just draining some fluid. It certainly wasn't any surgical stuff. Um, And he, I'm guessing, because he did warm up, I'm guessing if this was, you know, a Big Ten game, maybe he goes, Mm -hmm. or an important game at least. Maybe he goes. But I think it's okay that he rested. Yeah, and so the flip side of that. As for a variety of reasons, AJ Hogarth had far his most playing time of the young season with, um, not so great results, in my opinion. But, um, if, if there's one big overarching lesson I'm taking from this game, one of it would probably be, uh, Josh Langford needs to stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> because I, AJ Holger just both ends not ready for prime time at all, in my opinion. I mean, other people may have a different take. I, I, in fact, I saw some of that quickly glancing on the Spartan Mag board, and I'm not sure what those people are looking at. Because to me, he's not, you know, and, and there, it's understandable. He missed a lot of the off season, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and and he was not likely to be a huge instant impact guy anyway. So I'm not surprised and, and maybe if you want to look at this in a glass, glass half full way, you'd say, well, th- these are minutes that you invested in him and you hope that it helps get him by February to a point where he can help you. And maybe that's, maybe that's the case, but I, I did not see a lot to make me optimistic about him tonight for the short term. I'm not, I'm not speaking in any kind of long term way, but in the here and now, I, Man, Josh Lineford get well soon because Michigan State needs you for its perimeter rotation. Because if they don't, if they don't have Josh, then it's really, it's Aaron and Gabe and that's it Mm -hmm. at the wings, you know, unless you're going to play Foster and, and rocket together and play rocket on a wing, which they can do. And they did a little bit tonight, but that's not optimal either. So. Yeah, because it, it looked really, like
1: Foster was out, like almost off the ball a lot, kind of just hanging out in the corner. He was. Rocket was out there, too.
0: But I, I'm talking more on the defensive end. Oh, offensively, yeah. I don't think it's a big deal. Defensively, I think is where it shows up. And I think that's where, you know, again, Holger, ideally, well, you can play him because he's another bigger body, right? But if he can't play, you can't play him. And I don't think he can play right now. I just didn't, I mean, Izzo may have a totally different view of it. I suspect he does because he kept him in there. I just know from, from my couch, I didn't saw at all at either end in terms of, in terms of where AJ Hoggard's at to help this team short term. So that is a concern to me because it, it really does mean Josh Langford has got to be healthy. Now the other thing you could do is maybe what this would mean is you, start looking more at Malik Hall playing some wing minutes. And I don't know how that would go. You know, we talked about it over the offseason as a possibility. Mm-hmm. And it might have to go that way, you know. Um, but in any event, I guess you say better to learn a few lessons when you play miserably and still win the game. And that's that's what they did. But you credit to, I, I think you had it right, though, Give credit to U of D. U of D played exceptionally hard, and and I think played well. I mean, this was not a game. If I if I had told you that U of D would be in it, I mean, in it at four minutes left in the game, and Antoine Davis was 0 for nine from three. Would you have believed (laughs) me? But that's what he was, um, which was crazy. I mean, they didn't, this was not one of those games. We, we say it all the time in these kind of matches, right, that a big, big key is defending the arc because that's how these upsets often tend to happen is that you get a mid-major team that just gets red hot. Well, UD was 5 for 23 from 3. They they did not stay in this game because of that. They stayed in this game because they competed their asses off. Frankly, they kicked Michigan State's asses on the glass, which is a disgrace, and... They're going to be hearing about that and they should. It's awful. It undoes a lot of the good work that they did the last two games, in my opinion. Mm. Um, right back to the drawing board on the defensive glass, just terrible. Um, uh, and I think Michigan state, you know, learned that you gotta, you gotta come with a much, much better level of focus and effort than they did in this one. I mean, they just look tired for a lot of that game. There was a lot of standing and watching and reaching rather than going to get a loose ball. Wasn't there? I mean, was that just me? Uh, Yeah. And, and that's, I don't know why they're, you know, they played on Tuesday night. It's Friday. Okay. You had a flight in there, but that, that, that shouldn't explain it, especially not with Michigan state's depth. They're not, they're not loading too many guys down with major minutes. I, I just don't know. But, way too many guys played that way i think i think the the one guy who play who has a right to be proud of his entire game is rocket watts um and and then i think aaron henry i can't say it was a great game for him but then you look at the stats and he did a lot of things you know had a double double and then had six assists on top of that yep I'm so blocking
1: three steals
0: yeah, he he did a lot, but it just didn't seem to me like it was a great Aaron Henry game. Did it seem that way to you? Uh, it was kind of inconsistent. I, I... Yeah, at times, at times he was he was dominant on the glass. There were stretches I thought with that, but I just didn't feel like it was a great effort from him. And then obviously the other guy you talk about is Gabe Brown. Late was huge. Yeah, you know, his best game of the three. season. 16. But it but it was kind of you know, he had he had two pretty quick threes that he hit in the first half and then he disappeared and didn't do anything for a long time, but then down the stretch showed up big. And the threes are great, but that baseline drive he had when he finished <laughs> left hand was the best move I've ever seen him make. Mm-hmm, that was I mean awesome. that was but that's that's like you know, I talk about this sometimes, especially in the NCAA tournament where I think to go really deep, to get to a second weekend or a Final Four, you need some 95th percentile guys. And, and by that, I mean, I know a lot of listeners have heard me talk about this, but just in case. By that, I mean guys that can make a play that the vast, vast, vast majority of other players, even in a high-level game, can't make, physically or skill-wise, just can't make. Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know... Um, a uh, Steph Curry hitting thirty-five foot three pointers, you know, thirty-five foot jumpers, it, it, or or more often than not, it's guys making athletic plays that you're like, well, that's just the guy on the floor who can do that, and nobody else can. That was Aaron, That was um, Gabe Brown on that play. Mm-hmm. That was just that was a ninety fifth percentile play, you know, and UAD just couldn't match it.
1: Yeah, going back to Henry for just a moment, it seemed like there yeah. was a lot of times where. Like the last five percent of his move, yeah, just wasn't quite enough. You know, he yep. settled the finger roll. Or, you know, or tried to lay it off the glass when you should be like, man, just a little bit harder at the very end, and you could yep. dunk that.
0: I agree with you. Yeah, you're right. Where he'd make a good move, get past the defender, get into the get into the lane, and then just kind of. And, and credit to UAD for making him uncomfortable. I think mm-hmm. that had a lot to do with it. MSU never once looked comfortable in this game. No, did they? I no. mean, no, they didn't. It was just, and, and give Mike Davis and UAD credit. Now, you know, we spent some time talking in the preview about how Mike Davis has historically been a really good defensive coach, but these UAD teams have been awful his first two years. Well, maybe we're seeing that the message is finally getting through, and/or um as Paul Conondyke pointed out on in the game thread on the Spartan Mag board, um, it could be that he's finally just getting his guys in. Although I, I don't think that's entirely it because, well, let me see. Of their five starters, three are new players. So yeah. of seven uh, guys they played tonight, four are returnees, three are, are new players. So let's call it a little bit of both. Some, some of them figuring it out and some of them just with some fresh blood and maybe they're more receptive to the style Mike Davis wants to play, but whatever it is, man, that was a Mike Davis looking team in terms of energy and effort and defensive execution. I mean, you know, and then, and then again, we say all that. Michigan state still shot 48% from the floor and 33% from three. Thanks to Gabe late. Um, so not horrible numbers, but it was, yeah. Uh,
1: so uh, we didn't see much time out of Kithier in this one. 11 minutes, two
0: points, two boards. He just didn't play well. Kind of I mean, defensively. He, yeah, he's just, you know, but that that's the thing. I think, I think tonight the reason you saw Marble and, and Hall so much is they were the guys who actually showed up defensively, mm-hmm. you know, and again, it's a tough matchup. You're going up against a lot of, you know, the, what was his name? Qual, Qual, Yep. You know, that kid and, and Johnson was just oftentimes seemed to have a big match up against him. And he just drove the ball at them relentlessly. I mean, I just, I just never felt that MSU's, the, the, the starters, you know, Kithier and Hauser, I didn't think were ever comfortable defensively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Marky, this really didn't end up, I thought it might be a game for Markey, but the two legit big kids they have, and actually now I'm, now I'm noticing it for the first time, I'm realizing it, um, mm-hmm. the, their power forward, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on his name, I'll be able to tell you. Isiani? Second, no, no, their starter. Isiani is a reserve. Um their starter, uh, Rose? Oh, that's uh Brandon. Chris Brandon was missing too. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's a guy with, you know, eight rebounds a game last year in a block and a half. So they they were missing Brandon, they were missing Thompson, and they were missing the six eleven kid Waterman, Waterman. Didn't have any of those guys. So it was, you know, swing men basically, except for Isiani that mm-hmm. they were guarding. And that's, you know, sometimes that's not going to be the case in the Big Ten. But You know, you could have a first-round NCAA matchup when that happens, right? Yeah. So so thankfully, they had an answer, and we've said that's one of the keys to this team is their versatility, that they seem to have guys who are capable of answering every question. Well, they eventually finally found enough of an answer with Hall and Marble out there to kind of, you know, much as they did in the Duke game, those two guys – were were really really key. I mean, Malik didn't have huge numbers, um, but you know, combined, those guys had 14 points and 10 boards. Mm-hmm. So, and and I think good down shooting. the stretch, down the yeah, good shooting, and down the stretch, um, they defended. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was what they really needed to to close this thing out because they had other guys. They had Rock and and they had Gabe getting it going offensively.
1: Uh What about the doubling in the post? It didn't appear – I don't know if this is something that they would have done otherwise. Maybe it was because they had a small lineup.
0: I think it might have been. MSU struggled
1: a little bit. Maybe they were, like, almost not expecting that as much, especially – Yeah,
0: I I think think so. I think that, you know, my understanding of U of D last year is that they were a much more passive defensive team. And I don't know if, you know, Izzo apparently in his pregame show talked about the fact they just had no idea what they were going to see.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and it lo- it kind of looked like that, you know. That's that's the hard part about this is, you know, we said, well, it could be a real advantage for Michigan State to once again be playing a team that's playing its opener. Mm-hmm. You expect them to be kind of incoherent and, you know, shaky. U uh, was anything but that. And and then the flip side of that is you have nothing to base it on in terms of what they're actually gonna look like and what they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Um if if either a team has completely different players or has just switched up its style. And I think they definitely switched up their style. Because I don't I'm not under any impression that you would be played that aggressively in the past. And you're right, I didn't think MSU handled the doubling very well, which truthfully should not be an issue with this team because they're big men. You know, even Marcus Bainham, who is probably the worst passer of the bunch is not bad. They Mm -hmm. don't have a Nick Ward issue on this team, but I just think they got caught unaware, you know, as much as anything else. That would be my guess.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, anyone else stick out a foster 19 minutes, two points, a rebound
0: and assist, not a whole lot. Although we did take no. some
1: charges that were pretty
0: nice. He did, and he's been doing that consistently. I think he was okay defensively. Um, don't have any major complaints. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking at, at Hogarth's line. Let's go back to him. And it's not, he did score four points. He did have four rebounds. I gotta get, and, and two assists and a steal. I gotta give him his due. It's the, it's the four turnovers and just the defense that I felt was just not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did contribute some things. Markey, again, didn't play much. He did have four blocks. That was the only thing he did. Um And then, you know, maybe we didn't talk enough about about Julius Marble because he had nine points and five boards. Uh Once again, I thought, you know, this wasn't as great a performance as the, in the Duke game, but you are seeing some of the things he brings to the table. I mean, he had a big dunk in transition late in that game. Mm-hmm give him some breathing room, and that was just pure vintage Michigan State five-man rim running, you know, and and we've known or that he had the athletic ability to do that, but it's nice to see a guy actually doing it in a game, you know, and, and he did that. I thought he competed inside physically, not always successfully, but, you know, he competed. Um, so another good showing for him, and he's doing – he's done nothing – to lessen his case for a, an expanded role let's put it that way yeah yeah you know um we should probably talk a little bit about uh Watts and Hauser I mean we've mentioned them in passing but uh, maybe Joey first I do think he must have been a little I, I'm thinking he was a little banged up and that's why you didn't see him as much but whatever the reason was he was just not up to snuff defensively tonight, having to guard a lot of guards. Um, he had that one burst early in the second half. I mean, you look up after that game, would you have thought he hit double digits? It didn't feel like that to me, but he had 10 points. Yeah, He had 10 points and five boards. Um, so, you know, okay. Uh, but a lot of it came in that burst real early in the second half and then we just and i thought that's where frankly where michigan state was going to take control Mm -hmm. i really thought that he and aaron henry in the second half were just kind of going to kind of sit down physically in the paint and just start wearing D out and it didn't happen maybe because whatever was going on with joey you know whether it was strictly that he couldn't guard anybody or it was there was a a leg issue that prevented that from happening, but he didn't play as much. And then Aaron Henry committed a really dumb fourth foul, just really dumb that they can't have um, from him. He's too important. Uh, that kind of put him in a hole and limited how much impact he had uh, down the stretch. So I guess maybe if you, if you're wanting to put a rose colored sheen on this thing, what you would do is you'd say, look at how many guys Michigan State had limited or who didn't play, like Josh, and they still found a way to win against a team that played pretty well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, because I'll say this about you man. Antoine Davis, you know, was not hitting threes. We mentioned it 0 for 9, which is incredible, but he still managed to score 24 points because he went uh, 10 for 17 on twos. And he was four for four at the line. But that guy played himself a game. Mm -hmm. I I know 10 for 26 doesn't look or sound great, but he made shots, and he made tough shots. He had Rocket Watts and Aaron Henry guarding him much of that game. And especially in the second half, he hit three or four mid-range jumpers that were about as well guarded as you're going to see. And he still hit them. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he's that's that's a that's a high major player yeah
1: uh so any uh anything I, I guess the one thing I'd say about Henry is he did seem like he showed up in the big moments you know when somebody needed a basket it seemed like it was Henry rocket was a little bit earlier but it's good to see him take that sort of leadership role like
0: okay I need to make a basket now well I you know, down the stretch, it was actually Rock and, and Gabe who, who hit most of their buckets. But the thing you can say about Aaron is that he he managed, despite the foul trouble, to stay on the floor. He didn't let himself get fouled out. and And he was part of their defensive effort down the stretch. And that's really, you know, they won that game because they finally, in the end, got some consistency on offense. You know, managed to string some stuff together four or five buckets in a row, but just as importantly, they got enough stops, you know, and Aaron's always in the middle of that. And, and again, he had a a nice rebounding game, relatively speaking, you know, hitting double digits. He did have six assists. So he was involved. It's just, you're, you're always with him. You always want more. At least I do. And I think his coach does. So, but yeah, overall, you're right. I mean, he was definitely a big part of this.
1: Uh, so, if we look at the keys, Rod, play the game, not the opponent.
0: Huh? Well, yeah. no, fail, and that's not taking anything away from UD. It isn't. They they gave max effort. They played really well. I mean, they had guys. You know, this Williams or I'm sorry Johnson, Matt Johnson kid. He barely made our preview. Barely. Yeah. He's a, the reason for that is. He's a transfer from St. Bonaventure. So the one thing you could say is, okay, he's played at the A10 level. He averaged nine minutes a game last year at St. Bonaventure. He shot 30, 27, 50 at St. Bonaventure. You know what he shot tonight? He was 50% (laughs) overall. He was four for six from three. And he had five boards and he had three assists. He played his
1: ass off. 20 points, five rebounds.
0: Yeah. So they had, they had guys who really, Really play uh, the the kid um Frazier, who was a, a transfer from um, Idaho, you know, was a really, really poor shooter at Idaho. He didn't take any threes in this game, but he was four for eight from the four, three for three at the line. And he had 12 boards as a 6-5 win, 11 points and 12 boards. So they got really good basketball out of a lot of guys Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't just the Antoine Davis show which is kind of you know where where they've they've been critiqued the last couple years since he's been there playing for his dad is that it too often turns into the Antoine Davis show he took a lot of shots tonight but I don't I don't fault them I mean I think I think they needed him to be a scorer like that but there are other guys really stepped up Uh, but having said all of that if you're Michigan State, no, you did not pass that test. Mm. As you came out, you were very sloppy. And you the, the biggest thing to me, the biggest disappointment for me personally, is the rebounding. I just thought they, for most of that game, they watched. They stood and watched and kind of just expected a rebound to follow them rather than going to get the ball. That's not Michigan State basketball. And I imagine that's something Izzo will be on them hard about.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, especially when they really didn't have other than Isiani, who's what, six eight or so. Right. They didn't have any big guys out there. Tor- no, outside no played was... one minute.
0: No, he didn't play. I don't think. Yeah, I have
1: him on here for one minute. I think he maybe. He, I don't know. I think
0: that's on. a. I don't know if that's a. Yeah, maybe or or that might have been a. That might have been a misprint because I understood their big men were were out for this game. Uh, But regardless, no, U of D had no size at all. And uh, now sometimes, you know, we've seen non-conference games in the past where undersized teams give Michigan State trouble. It it can be harder for a big man actually to deal with that despite the size advantage because a smaller, quicker player, if they're playing aggressively, can sometimes make positive use of that. Mm -hmm. But Man, it's just no excuse. It's just none. I mean, Michigan State did get 12 offensive rebounds, so their offensive rebounding rate was not horrendous. It was uh 12 by 31. It was actually 38.7%, so that's pretty good. But uh, 14 by 43, their defensive rate, was only 68%. You know, U of D had a 32.5% offensive rebounding rate. That's way too high. Even if they'd had their full complement, that's higher than you want to give up against that team. Considering that the lineup they had to play, that's awful. Mm. Just awful.
1: Um, And they gave up 73 attempts, which seems high to me from the field goal. (laughs) Uh, yeah
0: it was was a game that was played pretty fast i mean there was there wasn't a lot of running the shot clock down you know in in this one um certainly not by u of d so you're right there were a lot of shot attempts but yeah just disappointing for msu they they did not what you want to see in a game like this is you want to see them executing at both ends and playing sharp basketball that did not happen uh so the second point ball movement um Yeah. Disappointing. Disappointing. I mean, we came off that Duke game and, you know, we said, well, the assist to field goal ratio was really low in part because of the way Duke defended. And I do think that's true, but Izzo took his team to task after seeing the film, he said, he acknowledged that was part of it, but he said he still felt there was a lot of pound, pound, pound the ball, meaning dribbling and not enough movement. Well, Michigan State. The assist total was better, sixteen assists on twenty-nine made field goals. So not a horrible number, but that's not Michigan State basketball. Mm -hmm. You you expect to see a better number than that. And I felt honestly, if we look at what kept them alive in this game, gave them a chance to win, a lot of it was Rocket Watts doing things by himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and I don't. I mean, I, we'll see how Izzo reacts to it. I don't blame Rocket. I don't think it was selfish basketball. I think they had nothing else going on. They weren't moving. They weren't running their offense. I think they were confused a lot of times. By And, and whenever Detroit did play zone, there was no effective zone offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just, yeah, it was, it was bad. It, Despite what the assist total size relative to the Duke game, it was not a good effort.
1: This is the first time I really – could feel the 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 loss of Cassius Winston because he just felt like he would be able to recognize things maybe a little bit quicker because um, they just looked yeah. discombobulated in the first half. Like yeah, like, that's switching that, it up on them and they just couldn't quite
0: figure it out. And you know, and that's that's the thing. I, I, I'm sure there'll be some criticism of Watts on that front, but that's also where Joey Hauser and Aaron Henry have to be better. Because they're the other two guys as playmakers that should be able to help you diagnose a defense. And I, you know, Aaron was okay in that area. Joey, I, I didn't think played a very good game. Um, and again, maybe there's an excuse for that if his leg was, if he does have something going on, but um, yeah, not not good. And I think you're right. Obviously, you have a Cassius Winston. You're ahead of the game in terms of that end of things. Mm-hmm. But they don't, so they got to find other ways.
1: Uh, so shooting was the third key. Third, uh, 48% from the floor, 33 from three.
0: Yeah, th- you know, I guess I shouldn't say the ball movement was awful because they did get some good looks. I mean, they only attempted 18-3, so it wasn't like they put up a ton of them. Um, but, you know, Gabe hit a couple late. You take those away, and it was another rough night at the office. Because Gabe hit a couple of them, their final number looks okay. Mm -hmm. But when you look down the list, Henry 0 for 1, Hauser 1 for 4, Watts 1 for 4, Hall 0 for 1, Lawyer 0 for 2. They didn't get much out of anybody else. Gabe Brown's 4 for 6 is what saved them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's okay. Gabe's shots count, just like everybody else's, but – You know, you, you hope that this was a game that could get them back on track shooting the ball and, and it wasn't. It's this. Um, it's, I don't know that I'd want to be Western Michigan because they're their next opponent on Sunday because Michigan State is absolutely due to have a game where they shoot 50% from three. I mean, they just are. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. It's a matter of when and and every game this continues the more likely it is that it's going to be the next one yeah yeah uh
1: so then the fourth key guard the arc uh so we mentioned in the in the preview that 44% of their overall shots were from deep uh, yet they only hit 32 so in this one they 23 shots on 73 attempts only only
0: 31 and a half of their shots came from three yeah. It was a different U of D team. I mean, they, they just, they looked to attack and they got a lot done doing that. I mean, they were not afraid. They were not intimidated. You know, Michigan state did register seven blocks, but U of D wasn't scared. And, you know, Markey had four of them in limited minutes. So most of the time in that game, it's at the rim that was really dissuading them, mm-hmm. you know? Um but all that said, I think MSU did a pretty good job limiting the threes. You know, I don't know that it was entirely Michigan State taking it away from them. I think U of D settled on this as an approach to kind of attack more and try to go off the dribble with miss what they perceived to be mismatches where you had an MSU either you had MSU big men guarding wings or you had, you know, suspect defenders like Lawyer and Hogard out there. But whatever it was, 5 for 23 is 5 for 23. Mm-hmm. So MSU was okay there. And, you know, when Davis – Davis is 0 for 9. Most of those were pretty well defended.
1: Yeah, it was pretty – some of those are pretty wild in the first half that he was taking. Then he sort of settled yeah. in for that mid-range pull-up stuff.
0: Yeah, and those, you know, that's the thing. I think Antoine Davis had to take twenty, whatever it was, twenty six very difficult shots. The ones he hit are a real credit to him because they were difficult shots. But I thought MSU was okay mm-hmm. the way yeah. they checked. Uh,
1: and the fifth key uh, boards.
0: Yeah, terrible. I mean, just <laughs> you can't. I people mean, people's oh, they had a four rebound advantage overall. Wow, that that doesn't even begin to tell the story, but it's just, yeah, you can't you can't have that. I mean, it's I'm back to now after two games where I felt like some progress was being made. We're we're back to a spot where you know they they they're going to need to tighten the screws at that end. And I think a big part of it, honestly, was Joey Hauser. We could tell already is a big 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 part of their rebounding effort and he had five tonight some of it was that he didn't play a lot of minutes but even when he was out there i didn't think he was great so they they need mm-hmm. him to be who he can be consistently mm-hmm. you know and then you can maybe get on other guys i mean aaron henry for once 10 rebounds you can't criticize it you know that's pretty solid stuff yeah marvel and hall with five each not bad rock had four And they didn't get much. Hoggart had four, so I guess you give him a little credit. But they they just didn't get it. It was not a great night in that area. So,
1: Well, the good news is it looks like the Western game is on. um, Yeah, for Sunday.
0: Yeah. Uh, Six
1: o'clock start.
0: Yeah. So we'll we'll figure that unless we hear something to the contrary tomorrow, um, it's going to happen. So that'll be another game against a, a Mac opponent, you know, mid-major. Um, Western, I believe has only played one game thus far. They, uh, came close to pulling an upset over Butler. They lost by four, 66-62. So pretty good win or pretty good loss for them, I should say. Uh, you know, there's a new coaching staff there. We'll, we'll talk about it in a preview tomorrow. Um, but again, not a lot to go on. You basically got one game, but that one game suggests that they play pretty decently against a, a decent opponent. You know, mm-hmm. Butler's a good program, so. Yeah. Um,
1: so, uh, I guess we should cover a little bit of concerning news coming from the recruiting front here. Um, Rod, what are you hearing about what's going on at Yipsy Prep?
0: Well, the, the word that got out today is that Jaden Akins has been dismissed from the team. And, you know, again, he's a 6'4 uh, guard who's committed to MSU in next year's class. Uh, has already signed a letter of intent. So he's in. Um, there are different stories as to what happened. What I, what I think is clear is that there was some kind of dispute in their second game, which they played and lost against Duncanville, a team from Texas. Who actually, was um, I believe it is Matt all the matter Yeah, um, very good program down there. They lost. Uh, the FC Prep had a lead in the second half, and then Duncanville made a push and, and won it in a comeback. But uh, there was a play that was actually captured in highlights that you can go watch of Jaden Akins, where he takes the ball to the free throw line area and takes and makes a jumper, and you could see in one part of the frame and exasperated Imani Bates because he pretty clearly wanted and was expecting a lob and didn't get it. Um, so that was, though that's a fact that's on tape. You can watch that. Hmm. What I have heard is that there was some type of dispute between Aikens and Imani and maybe more important, Imani's dad who runs the, the program. Um, What's unclear is what happened in that dispute. So there are different versions that you can surmise what they are. One is that um, one side accused the other of being selfish, and the other didn't back down. And the other is that Akins came to them and said he was tired of Imani playing ISO ball all the time, and that that led to his dismissal. Um, I'm not gonna i I'm sure I will hear things I haven't heard details on that end of it other than hearing both of those uh theories that have been thrown around as to what occurred um, I haven't heard from anybody yet that I would trust uh in terms of having rock solid info mm-hmm. um, but it kind of doesn't matter at this point because it's it's happened so uh that, again, that's my understanding that he's off the team now. There's always – it's a wild world, right, and it's 2020. So anything can happen. So I wouldn't look at it and say definitively, well, that's it. I mean, there's always where there's a will, there's a way. Is it possible that they could make up and, and make this thing work? Maybe. But um, right now you would have to think that his season is done with them. So then what that means is, what's the next step for Jay Akins? I would assume that he would look to play at another prep school somewhere. I don't know where. Um, because, it, you know, first of all, the MHSAA isn't playing yet. Mm-hmm. And who knows when and if they will. And then the second thing is, even if they were, with eligibility stuff around that, I don't know that he could play. I'm not an expert on the regulations, but I know enough to know that they're antiquated and kind of ridiculous. And so I would assume that Jaden Aikens would have an impossible time playing high school basketball in Michigan. I gotta, I gotta think he's going to look to play somewhere because I'm sure he doesn't want to sit out the rest of the season, right? Yeah. So that's one end of it. The more important thing from a Michigan state perspective is. This has now turned from what seemed to be an incredible situation, which is two guys who you hope and you assume would play together next year,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, developing chemistry, you know, all of that, to maybe a situation where all of a sudden the Bateses say, we don't want to play with him. And if that's the case, you know, Jaden Akins has signed a letter of intent. Imani Bates, has, Imani Bates hasn't even decided on reclassifying yet. Mm-hmm. Um, What does that do? And, I I, again, I haven't talked to anybody I trust. I I would think that Tom Izzo is in the middle of this and is going to be trying to work something out so that everybody can get on the same page again. Um, But if he can't, and it might be that he can't, then my opinion as of right now, not knowing everything by any means, Is that you might have seen the odds for Monty Bates and East Lansing just drop precipitously because they can't, it's not a situation. I don't think where they could just say, even if they believe Jaden Akins was the problem, I don't know how they say, sorry, Jaden, we're, we're, we're pulling. He's already signed a letter of intent. Yeah. So that's done. You know, he's coming. And to be fair to Jaden Akins, I don't want to, I don't want to cast shade on anybody. I've never heard anybody complain about playing with Jaden Akins. You know, I've watched him in AAU. He played with, uh, Kobe Buffkin and, uh, Pierre Brooks on the family and some other guys too. Uh, Jaden certainly was a big part of that team, but I never felt that I was watching a kid who was selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't look that way to me. I watched Ipsy Prep's first game this year. I didn't think Jaden played selfishly, but I didn't see the game that happened and I haven't been in their practices and I haven't been around that program. So I'm not going to say that I know definitively what the deal is. Um, you know, it would be one thing if somebody was saying that about Cassius Winston. I knew enough about Cassius Winston when he was in high school that any kind of you know, claim that, well, he was selfish and he wouldn't accept that, so we had to let him go, would be ludicrous, right? Mm. And Just so, so far off track. That's not Jade Aiken's game. I can conceive of a world where maybe he played selfishly and I can conceive the situation where maybe he was called out for that and he didn't respond well to it. And it escalated and Tempers got hot and it and it resulted in this. I can conceive of a scenario like that. I can also conceive the scenario where Jaden Akins went to them and said, look, we're not playing team basketball. There's a lot of Amani ISO stuff because there is, mm-hmm. but that's who Imani has always been. That's, that's, you had to go into that this year playing for that team, knowing that a lot of that was going to happen. You know, that's what he is, as an offensive player. And, and, you know, maybe the Bates's didn't react well to it. I don't know. But, it, it's discouraging to say the least. Yeah, if you're a Michigan State fan. There's there's no way that this is a good scenario. None. And and I don't know how it sorts out, you know. I, but as I say, my my take on it would be absent Tom Izzo, really finding a way to bring the parties together again. I, I think this does real damage to a, a Monty Bates playing in East Lansing. That's my two cents. Yeah, Just it's, because it's you hard know, and you imagine afraid.
1: somebody getting dismissed after the second game. I mean, and well, it's sort crazy, of yeah. like punching somebody, or, or you know, right. I agree.
0: I agree. And so I don't, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, none of us know what went on behind closed doors. You don't know, and that's why I don't want to. I don't want to pick a side. Yeah. On this, because I don't know. The only thing I could say is, as I said, Jaden Akins. I have never heard about him being a problem to play with you know um he's he's definitely a score first guy no doubt about that and the, the particular play he made it was tough with the camera work but i could see a case for why somebody running the floor would be a little bit ticked off if they didn't get a pass mm-hmm. um i could see it but does that add up to dismissal no it wouldn't seem to So something, there, there are pieces here we're not privy to. Yeah. And, and that's just how it is. And I think everybody's going to have to accept that. But of course you're going to have a lot of people just jumping to conclusions because that's what people do. They make assumptions. They think they've got access to enough information when they don't. And, and so they'll leap to an opinion on this where one is not really warranted. I don't really have an opinion as to fault. Because how can I? Yeah, I, I have an opinion as to what I think it does. It, it, it seems to me to Michigan State's uh, likelihood of ending up with Amani Bates. You know, he's committed, but he didn't sign anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I I kid you not, Amani Bates can play anywhere he wants to. Now, now the one bit of good news here, and and one thing that's a fair point and should be kept in yeah. mind. Is that Amani Bates has great relationships for, with a lot of the Michigan State guys, but particularly Rocket Watts and Gabe Brown. He trains with Gabe, mm-hmm. so uh, you know you can say, "Well, those rela- wouldn't those relationships override anything?" Maybe they would, but I just have a hard time seeing him willingly going to play on the same team the kid who just got kicked off his team by his dad. You know what I mean? That just yeah something about that that doesn't track so it's a bad spot it's a bad spot but we will you know this is why azok gets paid the big bucks and we will uh we will see what happens but really unfortunate because you know michigan state was set up i think obviously with amani and with um boache reclassifying as had been expected um, they were set up in my opinion they're the best recruiting class in the country mm-hmm. And and now it's a good class, you know. But without a money, you know, it's not the same. So so
1: until this gets sorted out to some degree, does this maybe open up the potential to look at some other guys? Kind of last minute.
0: Uh or
1: does this need to get sorted could, out? It first? could,
0: it could. Or what it might mean is that somebody who otherwise probably would have ended up transferring now doesn't. That's another way because as it currently stands, you know, Michigan state would need a couple guys to be gone, you know, and, and that's, there's some of that that I think the belief is would be from early entries, you know, somebody turning pro. I think rocket, there's a feeling, you know, this may be it for him this year. Uh, Hauser could somebody could transfer, you know, there's a lot. There are a lot of possibilities on that front. My position has always been it'll work itself out as it will. Mm-hmm. You know, they, if, if Imani Bates and, and Enoch Boache want to play at Michigan State next year, they will be playing at Michigan State next year. Um, they're good enough. That's what, you, that's what will happen. So if Imani isn't, well, then maybe you don't have, you know, maybe, you know, if somebody in MSU's post group, let's say, because that's where it looks most obvious. You got all those guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, somebody's going to feel after this season they're not getting enough runs. And they're going to look out of self-interest. They're going to look to go somewhere they can play more. Maybe that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. But that's all way, way, way cart before the horse. I mean, we got to see how it sorts out. Um, You know, I just, as I say, that the relationships Amani has with a couple of the guys already on the team are a big deal. They are. Gay Brown, especially, who I don't, ex- I expect will be on the team next year. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. But then I think about you're going to play with a kid that your dad just kicked him off the team. Uh, really? I, and, and again, I, I don't see a way that Jaden Akins is not part of Michigan state's program next year. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it. You know, again, absent something, something coming out that we're not aware of, you know, which I've, I've heard nothing to suggest. Mm-hmm. That there's anything that would normally you would normally be looking at that would lead to a dismissal. So, okay. that's where we're at. i feeling real good earlier this morning about <laughs> Michigan State's basketball <laughs> fortunes. It goes to show you, and this year especially, you turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. I guess the other lesson I take in that is you got to enjoy what you have, and you know we even despite tonight's showing. I think there's still a lot of reason to be optimistic about this Michigan State team and what they can be, and just enjoy it because tomorrow is not promised. Yeah. Too many people get caught up in this. Oh, we got this class coming in, blah blah blah. Hey, until you got it, it's until they're there playing for you, it's not done. Mm -hmm. So.
1: All right. Well, we do move uh, to four and zero with uh, Western coming up on Sunday and then followed by uh, Virginia on Wednesday. So uh, any, you know, final thoughts? I think you're pretty happy uh, to be 4-0 at this point.
0: Happy to be 4-0, disappointed with the showing tonight, but in the greater scheme of things, you know, if, if you learn the right lessons from it, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But but that's what's got to happen. It's, it's really the first – I mean, the Eastern Michigan game I was thrilled with, but that's an opener. This is the first time this year that it felt like I actually really went backward. Yeah. In my. Opinion.
1: And I, I, I think if, if Langford's fine and he's able to play, that would make me feel <laughs> a lot better. For sure. I, I know I, I could feel like I noticed a difference with him not being there. At least. I I, comfort. Oh fellow. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No question. No question about it. You know, um, even though I he hasn't been
1: putting up huge numbers, it, just but seems it, to matter
0: positionally, and yeah, defense, ball movement, just those things. Uh, they, they they what they get from him versus AJ Hogarth, It's not even the same universe right now, in my opinion. So yeah, they need Josh. All right, but that's always been the case. You know we've we've known that entering the season. That was one of the big keys coming in. Is what was Josh Lineford's health? Yeah,
1: yeah, you know. And as it turns out, it appears that it does make a big difference.
0: <laughs> it does. And, and you know, and yet on the other hand, he played 29 minutes against Duke. I don't think they need that. I think they could get by. If they get 20 good minutes a night out of Josh, that's plenty.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, because that's enough to allow your rotation to play a more nor- in a more normal way. Yeah. You know, if you figure you want to get, you know, you got to get 80 minutes out of the wing group. So – If you get Josh at 20, you get Aaron at uh, 30, you get Gabe at 20, and then you get 10 minutes between, you know, Rocket playing five minutes off the ball, you get A.J. Holger to turn, that's fine. You know, you're covered. So they don't need Josh, in my opinion, to be a 30 minute a night guy, but they need him to be more than zero.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll get the preview up for Western Michigan. Uh, Here in just a bit. And uh, until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products.
0: Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.